you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Not sure how to move forward past that. You know what I'm saying? Has anybody ever introduced you way above your means? Anybody? Raise your hand. Uh, Thank you, Ben, for that. Nobody raised their hand, so I guess you did a really fabulous job with that introduction. Uh, I'm so grateful to be here. My name's Jared, as he mentioned. Uh, I'm honored, honestly honored and grateful to be a part of what God is doing here. My wife, Kaylin, is here. I promise I won't make you stand up, but she is certainly um, behind and around and beside. For those of you men who know what it means to have a better half, she's certainly that for me, and I'm grateful that she's here with us today. I, I'm honored to to dive in to Scripture with us. That That's really why I'm here. Uh, as Ben said, Pastor Ben said, I'm going to be walking with the staff a little bit during the week and with the with the leadership of this place, and already have been for a few weeks, and my heart is just to to serve and help uh, from some experiences that God has given me over the past several years. And uh, praise God, even though they were valleys when I was walking through them, he's prepared us. Has anybody ever walked through a valley that he's prepared you for something to come to help somebody else walk through that valley? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I am alive to tell that story too. And uh, so grateful to be here and hopefully um, bring some helpful truth to you because here's what I know. The word of God is living and active. And he, he doesn't need me, but he chooses to use me. He doesn't need any of us, but he chooses to use us to tell that story and to bring truth to the forefront and to put Jesus on his rightful place at the highest place on the throne. And that's what I love. I, I'm looking around and I, I'm listening to all that God's been doing here. And what I want to encourage you with, if you're brand new today, or maybe you've been walking through this season and uh, maybe it's been difficult for you, but here, here's what I want to encourage you with. Ministry has not paused. Ministry has not stopped. God is not finished with his work through his church, through his bride, the bride of Christ. Do you realize? And he's making his bride beautiful. And you're here for a very specific reason. I believe that God has placed every single one of you here for reasons far beyond anything that I could dream or imagine or think. He's put you here to be a part of what he's doing. He wasn't caught off guard or surprised by what's happened in this season. He, he's not surprised by what's coming in the next days. He knows exactly who's gonna be leading this place into the future, even though we don't yet. We trust in that. But I want to encourage you, ministry has not stopped. It's not on pause. It's still happening, and you're a large part of that. I'm so grateful uh, to be a small part of that with you. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through a series called When the Dust Settles. And as we've been praying through what this looks like, and as we come on the heels of Easter, we thought it would be um, really nice to consider all that happened after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And I think as I've been digging in and and studying uh, where we're going to be headed, it's very relevant to us today. When the dust settles, after Jesus died, after he rose on the third day, and after he appeared to people for 40 days after he died and rose, and then he spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven 
but there's a large gap of time between then and now. And we're in this season after the dust settled of the turning point of history when Jesus accomplished what he accomplished on the cross, forgiveness of sins, eternal life for all those who trust in him. He accomplished that and then he left his mission in the hands of a group of men that would later grow into more than just them and men and women that make up the body of Christ, the church that we are a part of today some 2,000 years later. But here's what I want to remind you of. The mission has not changed. Do you remember Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20? And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, watch me get used to this. Watch me get used to this TV. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, here's our confidence. He is with us always to the end of the age. Go. This is the mission. We call it the Great Commission. This mission has not changed. Think about this with me for a second. The disciples that Jesus left his ministry with, they crossed barriers, significant barriers barriers in their day. They crossed cultural barriers. They crossed socio-economical barriers. They, they were breaking down walls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I want you to hear this. I, this, is, this is astounding to me that as they crossed through and broke through those barriers, they didn't change the message one time. It was the same message of hope. It was the same message of love that Jesus Christ, that, that God sent his son Jesus into the world to save sinners and that his grace is enough, that his mercy is more. And because of his death and his resurrection, all those who trust in him can have the forgiveness of sins. That's the message. It hasn't changed. We, we don't need to put flowers around it and add to it and, and make it something better than it already is. It carries life. It's the good news. So in this season, as we consider what's next, I want to remind you and encourage you that the, the plan is the same. The mission is the same. Maybe you're an athlete or a coach in here. The play that we're running is the same. And the message that we're carrying has not changed. And if it does change, and if it has changed, I promise you, we will miss it. We will miss it. I was reading uh, in, in John Wesley's journal this week, and I found this fascinating, his, his courage and perseverance. If you don't know who John Wesley was, he was a, uh, a great father of the church and, and an evangelist in England in the 1700s. And he wrote this in his journal over the course of a month. And, and you'll hear in here some very difficult times as he was walking through and trying to preach the gospel that has not changed in England. This is what he wrote. Sunday a.m. May 5th, I preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m., same day, May 5th, I preached in St. John's, and the deacons said, get out and stay out. Very next week, Sunday a.m., May 12th, I preached in St. Jude's, and can't go back there either. Sunday p.m., 
Sunday a.m., excuse me, May 19th, I preached in St. Somebody Else's Church, and the deacons called a special meeting after and said that I couldn't return. Watch me get used to this TV. Y'all can't read that, though, can you? Can you read that? I'll do it anyway. So, so the same day on Sunday p.m., May 19th, I preached on the street, and they kicked me off the street. You see the progression. And then Sunday a.m., the very next week on May 26th, I preached in the meadow, and I was chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. It ain't happened to me yet. Praise be to God. I hadn't been chased out of the service by a bull with some big old horns on it is what I picture. Sunday a.m., June 2nd, I preached out at the edge of town, and, and they kicked me off the highway. Couldn't even preach on the highway. Later that night, though, Sunday p.m., June 2nd afternoon, I preached in a pasture, and 10,000 people came out to hear me. What could have moved him to continue on after so much rejection, after so much denial? What in the world could have possessed this preacher to continue preaching this unchanging message? Like he wasn't bringing new stuff either. Like what, what could have motivated him to keep going? Was he looking to grow his platform? Was he looking to draw a bigger crowd? Was he looking to grow the fastest growing church in England? What was motivating him to keep pressing on? I couldn't help but notice no matter how many times he got knocked down, John Wesley knew how important his job was and he knew that he wasn't finished. He knew that God wasn't finished. He knew that the job wasn't finished. And he would continue proclaiming the good news until Jesus came back or called him home. I can't help but think when I read that story and, and read his journal that he's following in the footsteps of the disciples who were also beaten and abused and denied and rejected as they carried this message and this mission. Turn to Acts chapter 1 with me, if you will. It'll be on the screen as well. Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. I want to read this whole passage and then I want to dive into a few verses in particular as we study it today. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. When you're ready, you can tell me by saying amen. All right, all right. The first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, chosen, he chose them. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, you will be immersed, you will be covered and filled with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time, Lord? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And, and when he had said all these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, just, just, lit, just levitated on up, lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What a scene. What an amazing scene that, that Jesus just spoke these powerful words and then just went up and the disciples are there wondering what to do now, right? Like, what do we do now? He's gone. The Acts of the Apostles is what we call this book of Acts. Some, many scholars have said that it might be better titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was certainly the one acting, the one doing, the, the power behind the apostles doing. In fact, they did nothing apart from his power. They did nothing without him. And, and I need to remind you today, it's, I need to remind myself as well, we do nothing of eternal significance, nothing apart from his power. You remember John 15, five, where Jesus was teaching and he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. I'm the vine, I am the life source, you are the branches and whoever abides in me, whoever is connected, close, stays connected with me, will bear much fruit because I'm the life source. But then he goes on and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I was thinking about how that doesn't really line up with positive self-talk, right? And some things you might be seeing on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever you have. Like, nothing? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But it's, a, it's actually great news today. It's great news today. Let me tell you why. Because he can use anybody. He can use anybody. Anybody who, and here's where we're going today. Here's the outline. Anybody who, number one, rests in his plan. Number two, relies on his power. And number three, reveals what they've received. I'm coming through those one at a time. If you didn't get them down, it's okay. We're gonna walk through them. But number one, let's look at this. He can use anybody who rests in his plan. Acts chapter one, verse six, this is what we find here. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know this is a letdown. This is a letdown answer for the disciples. Make no mistake. Lord, is it is now the time? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has fixed by his own 
authority. It's not for you to know. But, but that's, a, that's a fair question. Before we throw the disciples under the bus and call them stupid for asking this question, it's fair. They've been walking with Jesus. Don't forget, for years they've been walking with Jesus, and he's been talking about how the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And they're asking this question fairly, like, is now the time? Is this, is this the moment where you're going to usher in the victory ultimately and you're going to take the kingdom and, and restore the kingdom here? He said, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. I was thinking about that a lot this week, about why the disciples couldn't know and why we can't know the time and the season that has been fixed by the authority of God that, that when the kingdom will ultimately and completely be restored and we will be brought into glory with God because of Jesus. Why, why can we not know that? And as I was thinking about that and studying this text, I think it would actually be very dangerous for us to know times and seasons. I, I think it would be very dangerous for, for us to know exactly when it was coming and how it was going to happen and, and how to predict it. I think we might start ministries around the fact that we know and we have the answer and we might put our name on the front and say, come find the answer here. I can help you. I, 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 I. As soon as we turn the church or any other ministry into I, come to me, we failed. We, we've ultimately failed. This temptation to rely on knowledge is a dangerous thing. Mark chapter 13 verses 33 through 37 is very interesting to me. Be on guard. Keep awake, watch me get used to the TV. For you do not know when the time will come. Be on guard, keep awake, you don't know the time. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Anybody got some roosters? All right. Or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep in what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, stay awake. He said it three times or more, stay awake. Does that mean Jesus wants us to literally not go to sleep? No, it means be watchful, be vigilant, be aware, be on alert because it could happen at any moment. Stay ready, stay prepared. This is a clear message from Jesus here. And if we knew when the time was coming, we might actually slip into this dangerous pattern of procrastination that we all know all too well. Just wait for the day. Just wait for the day. The day will come, but God didn't design it that way. He designed us to operate by faith, staying ready for the time that we don't know. Stay awake. I think there's something better than knowing times and seasons. 
As much as we want to know the times and the seasons, I think there's something actually better than that. Knowing that not one word of the Lord has ever fallen flat. Knowing that every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, this is what the Bible says, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord will not return void. It will accomplish that for which it was sent. I think there's something better than actually knowing everything ourselves. And it's that we know that the Father is in control and he's never failed and he's not going to start now. And he has it in his powerful hand. We can rest in his plan. God is never too early and he's never too late. The future is in his power and it's submitted to his word. Think about that. Trusting in his word is better than knowing when it will come about. Number two, rely on his power. We need to rest in his plan. We also need to rely on his power. What does that mean? Acts chapter one, verse eight. But, we, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power power through the Holy Spirit. You will receive the power, the presence of God. Could it be that God living in you is better than God walking with you? Could it be? Some of you are like, well, but I have my walk with Jesus and that's what we've, yeah, don't hear me tear that down because the reality is he walks with you because he's in you, right? So could it be that God living in you is better than God being beside you, walking with you? Jesus shocked the disciples when he was speaking of the Holy Spirit's work in this way. He taught this in John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, right here, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, capital H, because it's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He said it's to your advantage. It's better. It's, it's, it's a this is a win for you if I go away. Because the Holy Spirit will come. He will be your helper. He will give you power. And he will help you remember all that I have spoken and taught. He will bring it to your remembrance, the Bible says. He will help you. And this is better. This is to your advantage. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's what Paul wrote. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ is in you by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, resides in the Christian. The disciples wanted more knowledge. They wanted to learn more. They wanted to know more. But Jesus knew that they needed power. 
power was necessary. Knowledge was not enough without the Holy Spirit. You see that? And it's not different for us today. We must remember it's the same thing. We should not expect it to be different for us today. Let me tell you, talent won't be enough. Programming won't be enough. Strategy, the very best strategy, and I've read a lot of books on church strategy, and I promise you the very best of them will not be enough. Organizational structure, <laughs> it's important. It's not enough. It's not enough. Serving. Some of you have been in this church. I talked to a few that have been here for longer than 25 years. You've been serving faithfully. One of the things I've noticed about River Bend is how it's marked by volunteerism, like true servants, consistent, faithful servants. You've been serving faithfully. Can I tell you? We're grateful. Don't stop. But serving without power is not enough. Some of you have been giving generously of your resources for years, and you've made it possible for this church to be a vessel for the gospel to be presented, to be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Some of you have been given so faithfully, and now we have another campus in Oakwood across town, closer to where I'm from. Go Big Blue. Anybody? Y'all are scared to say it. And we got some more Johnson folks in the house than I thought. People don't want to claim Johnson anymore, but I do. I got them right here. I bleed blue. You know? Go Knights. We're still in the playoffs, by the way, in soccer. I think we won on, on Friday. So I'm, I'm at Chestnut Mountain Church in Flowery Branch, which is like three miles from Johnson, and I get way less cheers for Johnson than I just did. I just want you to know I got really taken off guard by family. We're from the same. Okay, all right. serving, giving. Some of you have been giving faithfully, generously to this place. and You made it possible for ministry to happen beyond these walls and for years and decades and generations. And you've set this place up to be a city on a hill. Can I tell you, we're grateful. Don't stop sowing seeds faithfully into this place. But can I tell you that generosity is not enough without the power of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit was removed from our services, would anybody notice the difference? If the presence of God was removed and we did this on the backs of best laid plans and best built bands and very best, better, much better preacher man than me, if we brought the very best we had to the table and the Holy Spirit of God wasn't here, would anybody notice the difference? How long would it take for us to realize if we removed all of the things that we put our trust in, how long would it take for us to realize that God really didn't need us anyway? He chose to use us but he didn't really need us because his power was enough the whole time. His grace was enough the whole time. His mercy was more. His gospel was enough to save souls. It just needed to be spoken. It didn't need to be dressed up. 
This is what the whole, this is what the early church was built on. This reality that they could not do anything without the presence of God, the spirit of God, the power. They couldn't do it. They were desperate for it. Are we desperate for it? Are we desperate? John Stott, an incredible theologian, brilliant thinker, has this great quote. Before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the spirit into the church. The same order must be observed today as well. Before Christ sent the church into the world, he said, wait for the promise of the Father. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, which is to your advantage. And when you're clothed with power, when you receive power, then go. Are we desperate for his presence? Are we relying on his power? Number three, reveal what you received. Reveal what you have received. Acts 1 verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria to the end of the earth. The work of the Christian is designed to be bigger than you can do on your own. It was designed this way. It was designed so that we would have to rest on his plan and rely on his power and reveal what we have received, what we've received, not what we've manufactured, not what we've conjured up, not what we've developed in our pipeline, what we've received. Jesus says you have received this power, you will receive this power to be my witnesses, to, for the purpose of being a witness. What is a witness? What does that mean? A witness, we know it's someone who has seen or heard or experienced something and then now goes and tells somebody else about it, right? If you've witnessed a car wreck and you have to stay there for a long time on the side of 85, risking your life to tell somebody about what happened on the fender bender that's really not that bad and they're probably not gonna even draw, draw up a report about, sorry uh, if I'm projecting some things that I've had to go through in my life. When you witness this crime, what do they ask you? They ask you what you've seen, what you've heard, what you know about the situation. What, what have you experienced? That's what Jesus is calling us to hear and first to his disciples, to witness, to give an account for what we've experienced, to reveal what we've received. Look at 1 John 1, 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. You see how he's setting the table for witnessing? Ex they've experienced it tangibly. The life was made manifest. It was present. It was in front of us. We experienced it and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. Verse three. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too 
may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle John understood the call to be a witness, to reveal what he's received, what the apostles have experienced. And this is what Jesus calls us to do as well to witness so that others might experience this fellowship with God. You know what's most encouraging about this for me? I, I think what's most encouraging about this reality that we're talking about today of being a witness is that everybody who's experienced Jesus can be a witness for Jesus. Anybody. He can use anybody. Remember I told you that earlier. He can use anybody. If you've experienced him, you can witness about him. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have a good testimony. What in the world is a good testimony? My testimony is just not as good. I, I guess that means that your history is not as big or that you haven't sinned as badly as the other, which I'm really putting air quotes around this, guys. Like, what does that even mean? Is it not a good testimony that Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law? Is it not a good testimony that you were dead, but now you're alive? Is it not a good testimony that you were lost like everywhere, looking everywhere else but him, but now you are found. He found you and pulled you out of your pit and put you up on the hill to be proclaiming his truth. Is it not a good testimony that you were blind, but now you can see? It's not a good, I don't have really good testimony. I don't know if I want to share that. Can I do something for, can I say something in love? I know I don't really know you well enough yet, but can I say something? Maybe if you feel like you don't want to share your testimony because you feel like it's not good enough, maybe you're thinking too much about how your testimony is about you when it's really actually about him. It's always been about him. Maybe we get lost in comparing ourselves to people around us when we say we don't have a good testimony. It's not as good as them. Maybe we're looking at the wrong place. Maybe we should be looking at the perfect son of God who was in perfection. He was in heaven with the father and chose to take on the form of a servant and be found in human flesh to, to bear our sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see how our testimony starts to get much better when we focus on what he did rather than what we did. And don't stop talking about what God brought you through. That's an important part of your testimony. Please don't mix my words up. I'm sorry if that's what it sounds like. I'm just trying to encourage you to focus more on your Savior than what you've done. Focus more on what he's done than what you've done. 
I remember when I really began studying the word. I really began studying it for myself. It, it was in my early college years when I really started to study the Bible. And I remember in the beginning, I was like, I couldn't help. I couldn't wait to tell somebody about what I was seeing, what I was learning. I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I was just looking for somebody to talk to about it. And I was thinking about that this week and I was, I was convicted. Like, Jared, do you still have the same zeal that you had then to reveal what you've received? Do you still, are you still looking for anybody who will listen to what you're seeing? And my heart is heavy this morning for the Christians in this room and, and in Oakwood across town. My heart is heavy for the Christians that are here who might have might find yourself in a rut where you're really not zealous to talk about what you're seeing and hearing and what you know, like, like it's a distant memory what God did for you. And you're, you're just kind of going from one Sunday to the next, trying to get the next dose. My heart is heavy for us who have lost this zeal, the passion, the desire to reveal what we've received. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today just to hear me say, it's not too late to start. It's not too late for you. Maybe you've been walking with God for four decades. In case you're wondering, four decades is longer than I've been alive. Not by much. I'm, I'm creeping up on it. Maybe you've been walking with God for four decades and it's been a long time since you've talked to somebody about what you're seeing and hearing and, uh, and learning and about Jesus, about the holiness of God, the glory of God and what he's done for you. Maybe it's been a long time. Can I tell you, it's not too late. Ask God today to awaken your heart with a passion to reveal what you've received. Dig into this word. Consume it consistently. He'll reveal things to you and then take steps of obedience to reveal what he's giving you, what you've received. As we come to a close today, and I don't know how much longer I have because they didn't start the clock, so lucky you, you know, Still says 28 minutes, which never was going to happen anyway, but just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, I think. I just have no idea how long I can go, which is to your benefit. Not... As we come to a close today, can I remind you that God's plan to reach the world is you, that his plan is us. Christians unified, the redeemed people of God coming together as a vehicle to carry the same message to the world that's been saving them for generations, the same message. It, for His plan is for us to come together as a vehicle, the local church, his bride, to be on the same mission that the apostles began. 
People are hungry all around you. People are hungry in your office space. People are hungry in your school. People are hungry at Long Street or wherever you're about to go eat. We go to Long Street after this? Is it closed on Sundays? Just like Kurtz, man. Just like Chick-fil-A, Kurtz, Long Street. Loretta's too? Loretta's is closed? No? Yeah. Glory be to God. Where do y'all go eat? I mean, you don't have roosters either. Somebody said Olive Garden or Smokehouse. Didn't say those either. All right, we're killing it. Hey, wherever you go eat, there's going to be a waiter there or a waitress. There's going to be people across the table. There's going to be people walking in the door that haven't been smiled at all day. People are hungry. What do we do? What what do we have? What what do we know? We, We know the bread of life. People are thirsty. We know the living water. People are lost and walking in darkness. We know where the light is. We can take the light to them. We can reveal what we've received. Resurrection life is on the table for them, for you. Forgiveness of sins is on the table for for you, for them, for all humanity today. Forgiveness of sins is on the table. Reconciliation with God. Because of what Jesus has done, all those who put their trust in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, all those who repent of their sin, turn from their sin and change their mind, begin following him, believing in what he's done, will be saved. That can can be you today if, if it's never been true for you. That can be the person at the restaurant where you're going later. That could, it could be the person at work tomorrow. It's on the table. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. Maybe you're here today and you've never had that moment where you've repented of your sins, believed in the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Today can be the day. There's there's pastors here. Pastor Ben's gonna be up here in the front. I'll be up here if you wanna talk to me. Don't leave this place without talking to somebody about what it means to become a Christian. Acts chapter one, verse nine. This is where we'll close today. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? Why do you stand looking into heaven? The the angels came and said, stop 
gazing and start doing. It's time to go to work. Can I tell you that as we come here and we gaze on the glory of God and, and we gaze into, into, into his living word and we, we worship him and we lift praise to him and we pray to him and, and we give to him and, and we do all these things for him, we're, we're in a way gazing on him. And can I tell you that that's a good thing? Don't stop doing that. But gazing, gazing is only good insofar as it leads you to doing Gazing by itself might be one of the most dangerous things that the church can do. Just become a holy little huddle gazing without any action, without any obedience. Ministry has not paused here. God is not finished with this place. And the mission has not changed. We're not waiting for a new playbook. It's time to go to work. We gaze upon his glory and we go and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. But it starts right here in this city. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? That's my question. Don't wait to be a witness. Don't wait to be what you've been called to be. Jesus is alive. He is speaking. He is acting. He is loving people through his bride, you, the church. The world will not be changed if we settle for gazing. We don't know the time of his return, but we know it's coming. And we know that the mission has not changed. And can I tell you something else? We're running out of time. Don't wait to be a witness. Will you pray with me? Father God in heaven, we're here for you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that your loving arms are around this place, that, that you have not stopped loving your bride. And I thank you today that as we come before your word, I thank you that you've encouraged us to keep going, to keep working. And I pray that this place would be more than a place. I pray that these people would be unified around your gospel and being witnesses for you. And that the city around us would never be the same. That our world would feel the presence of God through this place. Empower us now, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.